Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's start with a little bit of fill in the blank. Let's see how you guys do here. Choosy moms. Choose? Choose Jif. Advertisers are way too good at their job, aren't they? It's kind of scary. Choosy moms choose Jif. And in case you're wondering, I'm a crunchy peanut butter guy myself. But I was thinking about that, not peanut butter necessarily, but that line from Jif Company, although I am often thinking of peanut butter. When I was reflecting on the, today's gospel for this week, Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. What we have is a choosy God. And we see it throughout the scriptures, going all the way back into the Old Testament, the very beginning of the Bible. God chooses Abram and says, you are going to be the father of many nations. He chooses his people Israel. They are in fact called the chosen people. He chooses Moses to lead his people out of slavery. Over and over and over again, we see God is a choosy God. And that continues into the New Testament, in the ministry of our Lord Jesus. You think, for instance, in uh, the Gospel of John, Jesus says to the disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And once more, from today's Gospel, many are called, Jesus says, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. And maybe if you're like me, you hear something like that and it gives you pause. Maybe it's even a little bit unsettling because you can't help but hear that and wonder, well, wait a second now. <laughs> Jesus, how do I know that I am one of those who are chosen? Many are called, few are chosen. Can I be sure and certain that I am among those whom this choosy God does choose? It's kind of a distressing question. Maybe you've wondered, and it's not just some theoretical thing either. I mean, this is right at the heart of our certainty of salvation, of who we are as believers. If you can't know whether you are chosen, whether you are elect, whether you are saved, well, then what is the whole life of faith built upon? Is it all just a guessing game? Today, I want to take up this question raised by Jesus' words in the gospel and reflect upon it, meditate upon it. How do I know that I am chosen? And different answers can and are given to the question. I want us to break down some of these different answers so that you and I might get to a place where we are able to answer with certainty whether you know you are among those whom God has chosen. So how do I know? Well, one answer that's given is kind of a non-answer, but it still has a merit of truth to it. And that is the answer. How do I know that I am among those whom God has chosen? Well, I really can't. Not in this life. And yeah, that's kind of a disappointing answer. But we have to admit there's some biblical backing to that idea. I mean, God is a mysterious God. He tells us straightforwardly, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You and I are not privy to peek behind the divine curtain in many things. There are many aspects of God's divine mind and purpose that we do not know. Why did this happen and why not that? Or if we really want to get down to it, we could just look at today's parable, the, Jesus, the story that Jesus tells in today's gospel. We see the mysteriousness of this king at work. Jesus says, okay, a king is throwing a wedding feast for his son, and he wants more than anything else that this party would be packed. He's inviting anyone and everyone, the good and the evil alike. It seems like a beautiful picture of his amazing grace. Come, one and all, I just want a full party. But then there's this other guy. 
the scraggler who comes in a little bit later, a wedding crasher, right? And he sees, oh, those hors d'oeuvres, they're smelling pretty good. He comes wandering in, he's having a good time at the party. Looks like anyone can come. This is great. And the king strides over to him, says, hey, buddy, hey, hey, friend. Uh, where's your wedding garment for this party? What's the dress code, by the way, for next week's wedding? Okay, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> and he's speechless. His mouth is still filled with quiche, I guess. And the king says, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. See, just when we thought we knew who this king was and the kind of party that it was, that it's a show of his amazing grace that any and all are welcome, the next thing you know, here's a guy who gets kicked out, weeping and gnashing of teeth because he doesn't have on the right garment. This is a mysterious king, guys. And we see this throughout the Bible. That just when we think we've got God cornered, just when we think we know exactly what he's going to say and what he's going to do, he turns around and throws us for a loop. And so there's something to be said for this answer. How do I know? Well, you can't. It's just not in the nature of our God. And yet, and yet God is equally even more clear in the scriptures that he has not spoken in secret, that you do not search him in vain, for instance, it says in, in 1 Timothy 2, God desires, his deepest heart's desire is that all people be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's not in God's nature to say, all right, let's see if you guys can figure it out. Play a little game of guess who. Guess who is a pretty fun game, uh, but not when it comes to your salvation, whether or not you are chosen. God doesn't want you and me to have to be playing those games, to be left in the dark, to be wondering whether or not you are among those whom he has chosen, whether you have a place in the kingdom of God and in eternal life. So this question, how do I know? We want to reject that answer, we just can't know. It's true that God's ways are mysterious, and there's many things that we cannot discern or understand in this life. But it is not the case that he wants to leave you and me in the dark when it comes to our salvation. So we reject that first answer. But still the question is, is lingering, staring us in the eyes. How do you know that you are elect, that you have been chosen by God? Well, Socrates, the philosopher Socrates, famously said, the examined life, unexamined life, is not worth living. We might say similarly, okay then, we need to examine our lives, and in particular, we need to examine our fruits to see whether or not we are chosen. And this is a very biblical theme, is it not? Jesus says, by your fruits, you shall know them. And so, an answer is given to how can we know? Well, we need to examine the fruits of our lives, the good works, and to see, okay, do these seem to jive with a man who has been called and chosen, elected by God? Do these works befit a woman who has been uh, named and claimed by the Lord Almighty? Even more than that first answer, there's plenty of biblical backing to testify to this. As I said, Jesus tells us, by your fruits, you shall know them. You think of the uh, Apostle James, the letter of James. Now, this is not always a favorite letter among Lutherans, I'll, I'll confess to you. But James says that faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. See, faith necessarily brings forth good fruit. For the one who has been enlivened by the Lord, he does good works necessarily, naturally, indubitably, you might say. This is just what we do as people of faith. 
And for those who do not have those works, who do not have that fruit, well, that would seem to uh, d- disqualify them for a place in the kingdom of God. Once again, look at the story that Jesus tells here. You've got all these people whom the king has invited into the wedding. He said, you have a place here at the feast. And one by one, they come up with lame excuses for why they can't come to the wedding feast. Yeah, I've got to work. Oh, the game is on. I've got to wash my hair. Whatever it might be. They're all coming up with these reasons why they can't come. And in so doing, show themselves to be unworthy of the kingdom and the king's feast. Look, guys, we need to take this seriously, that good works are part of the Christian faith. You are saved by grace. You are saved by faith alone. But faith is never alone. It always brings forth those works that bring honor and pleasing to our Heavenly Father. That being said, it's one thing to say that our lives of faith always bring forth good works. It's quite another thing to say that the basis of your salvation, and indeed of your certainty of your salvation, is on those works. Just think of somebody in the scriptures like St. Paul. Remember how Paul is the one who would, while extolling the grace of God and calling us forth to lives of, of faithfulness, he is also the one who would call himself the chief of what? Sinners. Chief of sinners, he says. He says elsewhere, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You say, well, Paul, listen, buddy, you should be bringing forth the fruits of faith. You're the chief of sinners. No, 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 no. You should be the one more than anybody else who can look at your life and say, ha ha, certainly I'm among the saved because look at all my good works. But that's not what Paul says. And I dare say that in fact, perhaps one of the surest signs of fruits of faith is that kind of humility that Paul exhibits there that recognizes, oh, wait a second, all of those fruits, all of those things that I thought I could hang my hat on, that I could really find my identity, my security, it turns out that they're all just, just rotten. The surety of my salvation is not found in my works, but in Christ's work. If I want to find certainty, I cannot look to myself. I need to look elsewhere. And so that this question of, of how do I know that I am chosen? Friends, if your foundation is your own good works, if that's where you look for certainty, you're building a foundation on sinking sand. You have to look elsewhere. So then again, this question, how do you know you are chosen? We don't just say, oh, I can't know. Nor do we find certainty on the basis of our fruit. So how do you know? Where do you look? I submit to you that you find certainty and surety by looking to the host. Listening to his clear, calm voice spoken over you and me. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an illustration. I read about the the poet W.H. Auden. He was a 20th century British poet. He was kind of a big deal in his own day. And because of that, even against his own will, he found himself many times having to host big parties for all of the other literati and important people of his time. He didn't really care to do this, but it was just something that was expected of him. But he had a particular custom at these parties. And so I read this story from a guy, I call him John. John, when he was a young man, 
he got invited along with um, an older friend of his who was an English teacher to one of these parties. And he knew that he had no business going to this, that he did not fit in this swank soiree. But there he was. He came to the party and it was all these important people. And he felt like everybody was looking at him as soon as he came into the door, like John has no business being here. So he kind of slinked to the corner of the room and sure enough, his friend goes and finds other friends there. And so there he is, left all by himself in the corner at this party that he knows he has no business being at. You ever been in that kind of situation? You just feel like such an outsider, like I, I do not belong here. That's how John felt. But who should see him from the other side of the room but W.H. Auden himself, the great poet, the host of the party. He sees John all by himself quivering in the corner and he strides across the room and he says to him, hey, how are you doing? Great party, huh? He says, yeah, I don't really feel like I belong here. And Auden says to him, yeah, I don't feel like I belong here either. <laughs> but I can tell you confidently that you do belong here because I'm the host and I want you here. See, something similar is said to you and me from our Lord Jesus. As much as we might feel like we don't belong in the kingdom of God, that we're not fit for that wedding feast, he says to you and me, no, you are my chosen you are my beloved. You are the one I have laid down my life and taken it up again in order to claim as my own. You have been summoned forth into this wedding feast and so that it would be unmistakable, so that you would have no question in your mind beyond a shadow of a doubt. He has clothed you, clothed you with the garments of salvation in holy baptism. He said, here is my righteousness. Here is my pure, spotless holiness given to you so that you would know that you are mine. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. That is yours in Christ Jesus. And through the promise of holy baptism, he has clothed you with that wedding garment already and said, come to the feast, you belong. And I could say even more, friends. The king is still sending out his servants called and ordained. That's why I'm here, see. The king has put me here to tell you this today. You are chosen. You belong. You say, I'm not sure. I can't, I'm not sure if I can believe that. Believe it or not, you have been chosen. Hear this word. Believe it. It comes straight from the king. And hear it and look to the host as we come to this foretaste of the wedding feast. Look to the host and hear his words spoken to you. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Not only hear it in your ears, but receive it in your mouth and in your heart. And know to the deepest part of your being that you have been called and claimed by the king. You need not question it anymore. We have a choosy God. It is most certainly true. But know this and believe it. He chooses you. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.